0: Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. The uh, message is entitled, The Great Commission. Uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, appeared to Mary Magdalene and the two men on the road to Emmaus. Later to his disciples where he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who had come to him and seen him, meaning the women. Mark 16, 9 through 14. Um, the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples was in Jerusalem as they were shut up behind uh, closed doors for fear of the Jews, John 20:19 tells us. The second time was eight days later um, to reveal his prince in the pierced side the Thomas that doubted in John 2024 20, through 29. This is the third time Jesus appears to the disciples at Galilee as they um, um, go fishing, as we'll see. With Peter in John 21 1 through 14 and of course we'll get the Great Commission here the first witnesses of the resurrection were not the Apostles they were women um, they were the ones who were there at the cross John was the only one at the cross all of the rest forsook Jesus um, and they didn't believe the message of the women from the angel go tell them that he has risen now the rumor is that the disciples came and stole his body. You always have to spread lies to destroy the truth. We see this in our nation today. It's never any different. You see it with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to look at the Great Commission. Let me um, read our text here, um, verse sixteen on down. It says, "Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, and in the mountain which Jesus." had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, this is the last thing recorded by Matthew here, the Great Commission, uh, as he gives it to the apostles, and is characterized by three things. First, we have the men Jesus chose in verse 16 and 17. Second, we have the authority of Jesus delegated in verse 18. And thirdly, the task Jesus commanded in verse 19 and 20. We we'll begin with the men Jesus chose, verse 16 and 17. Notice that the disciples were common people, then the 11 disciples. Sometimes we have a mind that people are just something special. They're not like us. They're better than us, a pastor, an evangelist, or other Christians. Not so. We're all made of the same stuff, sin and imperfection. The original number, as you know, were 12 disciples. The word disciple simply means a pupil or a learner. And um, the 12 had spent three and a half years with Jesus, learning, hearing, and being part of the ministry. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 10 sent them out by twos to the Jews and delegated temporary authority to preach, to heal, and cast out demons, which, by the way, Judas did, okay, as well as the others. They went out two by twos. Now... Judas, of court has betrayed Jesus at this point back in chapter 26, 15, and uh, 47. And 27, 3, the record is there for 30 pieces of silver. And now the 11 were very um, different from each other, though. Though they're common people, they're different from each other, um, uh, just as you are. Uh, we all have a certain humanistic makeup that God created us, but our personalities, everything is a little different. Uh, let me give you just some of the uh, differences between some of these. Not all of them, but uh, there's Simon Peter, as you know, who was impetuous, impulsive, and proud, attempting to stop Jesus from going to the cross over my dead body. And he rebukes him. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. I'll never deny you. Peter's going to deny me three times. Oh, not me. I love you more than these guys, really. Okay. There was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, that Jesus' named Sons of Thunder. They're like two junkyard dogs. One is bad enough, two of them together. It's bad news. And um, they desired to bid for the right and left hand, and they even took their mommy with them, and Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Amazing. They wanted to rule, not um, to be ruled. They didn't want to serve. And then there was Matthew that um, we've been studying his gospel. He's a tax collector. He's a Jew. The uh, epitome of treacherousness. A Jew working for the Roman government, collecting taxes from the Jew. Wow. Simon the Zealot, who vowed to kill anybody who tried to bring Israel under their authority. Any enemy. The Zealots were fierce warriors. Um, prior to being a disciple of Jesus, Jesus, um, Simeon would have killed, cut Matthew's throat at a drop of a hat. Now they're in, they're brothers. (laughs) They're in the same group. There was Thomas who would not believe uh, that Jesus was risen unless he felt the prince on his hands and his feet. And the other five were apostles, common like these, and, uh, but they all forsook the Lord. Even as Jesus had prophesied back in chapter 26, verse 56. And you and I have never, um, uh, would have never chosen these men for two reasons. They um, would not have met our standard, probably. And secondly, because um, we would not have the effect on their lives like Jesus did. <laughs> you see, we can't change each other. Jesus has to change us, transform us. Husbands and wives try to change you. You can't do it. Jesus is the one that transforms lives. Nobody else. And yet Jesus chose the twelve after an entire night of prayer. Luke six twelve through sixteen says, "Jesus knows the end from the beginning." Now, notice the eleven disciples here in verse sixteen, with all their imperfections and failures, have uh, were obedient to keep their appointment. With Jesus, it says, and they went away into Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had appointed for them. Um, the Galilee is in the northern area of Israel. Some of you have been there with us in the Israeli trips. Beautiful place. Uh, um, the Jews in Jerusalem didn't think too highly of the uh, Galileans. They were kind of like uh, um, not educated, and they, they thought of them like hicks or something, you know. And um, believe me, with all our politically correctness, national-wide and worldwide, it's a hypocrisy because as long as you're around sinners, everybody's prejudiced, everybody says stupid things, welcome to the sinful club. It's always going to exist. It's when you come to Jesus Christ, you realize all this is stupid, okay? But you don't need a law from outside to govern you. You need the Spirit of God to govern you from within. There's a big difference. Now, it's interesting that 75% of the ministry of Jesus was up in the Galilee. If I'm sitting at the southern end of the Sea of Galilee and I put my hand on the northwestern corner to the uh, north southerly corner, Jesus did 75% of his ministry right there. That's where it happened completely. Now, Galilee was divided into the upper and the lower Galilee. And um, the area is beautiful, particularly in the spring. That's why we go during that time, and it means, uh, Galilee means a circuit. And the ministry of Jesus, by the way, remember, was prophetic. We read that in Matthew four fourteen through 16. Uh, he calls Isaiah, he says, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadows of death, light has dawned. So, Jesus was fulfilling the prophetic declaration of where he would have his ministry. Incredible. Um, the particular mountain is not named by Matthew, um, though he had told him about it even back in Matthew twenty-six thirty-two. It could have been the very mountain that Jesus uh, spoke the Sermon on the Mount. It could have been any other, other mountains. We just don't know. Um, the important fact is that it was uh, the mountain Jesus had appointed, and they went there. Uh, Jesus um, did this knowing the disciples would all desert him. By the way, he said this before the fact. And Jesus did this knowing that Peter would deny him also. Now, how would you feel if the person you're sitting next to is going to break in your car, or has broken in your car, and, and or break next week? And are you, how are you going to treat between now and next week? We, we wouldn't. We wouldn't be like Jesus. I guarantee you. Okay. Um, we're just, um, fallen, frail. Now, look at 17. The 11 disciples worshiped Jesus here. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Uh, they saw Jesus, they worshiped proskuneo. It means to kiss the hand or to prostrate oneself to the ground before a superior. The word appears 13 times. In Matthew, it's a key word, and the worship and the word worship in English comes from the Anglo-Saxon word worth scrip, meaning to attribute worth to something. So, something greater than yourself. And certainly, the Bible is very clear that there's only one greater than us, and that is Jesus Christ and God Himself, the Person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and no other person. So, we're not to worship anybody but Him. Uh, The words that are used in the Old Testament as well as here in the New Testament also communicate, um, in the Old Testament, the idea of prostrating oneself, uh, holding a person uh, um, in in reverence, um, and it's always to God, though it is used in the pagan world for kings or magistrates or someone superior. Uh, But like Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34.8, he prostrated himself um god told him the first time take your shoes off your feet for the place you stand is holy ground god is holy different from us completely sinless ezekiel was always falling on his face god had to keep telling him get up get up always on his face now worship is the adoration of god and his holiness recognizing again our own unworthiness as long as you compare yourself to me or anybody else you're going to think you're getting better But your comparison is to be to Jesus Christ. Now all of a sudden you've got a problem. A good problem. You've got good perspective now. You've got a biblical perspective. A world view that's biblical. You see, this attitude of worship towards God and reverence because he's holy. It's not by mere outward expression of songs or praises or lifting up hands. Nothing wrong with those But that doesn't mean anything. It's always interesting to meet people that love to display their public uh, worship um, before congregations and everything. Now, if all of us are worshiping and people are looking at fine. But it's the people that, and they always sit in front where everybody's sitting. They stand up and they just sway. They're saying, look at me. Please sit down. You're bringing attention to yourself. There's a way... To worship publicly and privately. You want to lay down on the ground? You want to dance around to the Lord in your bedroom? Go for it. But there's a formal public worship, right? That means you don't bring attention to yourself. Your kids at home jump from bed to bed, bong, 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 bong. But when you take them out of the dinner of a friend's house, you say, if you put your feet up on that couch, I'm going to knock your head off. (laughs) There's two different conducts, right? Very important. A lot of Christians are carnal. They're infantile, and they love to be seen, and they want to bring attention to themselves. We don't want to see you. We want to see Jesus. I'm not against lifting hands. I'm not against worshiping. But you're aware of your surroundings, and you conduct yourself accordingly. God's not the author of confusion nor his spirit. Very, very important. And so the worship of Jesus is a loving expression uh, towards the love of God uh, from our heart. From our heart. Uh, Notice the expression, but some doubt it. Here's the big contrast between those before and now. Uh, It means to waver. It's found only one other time when uh, Jesus told Peter to come out and walk on the water and he began to sink and Jesus says, why did you doubt? Uh, Chapter 14, verse 31. Two times in the scriptures, that's it. This is the word. Waver. It's because when they saw him we don't know how Jesus appeared, most likely in his glorified body, because he zipped from Jerusalem over to Galilee and back and forth, and he would appear, he'd disappear, and then finally he went up, right? But there was that that wavering. They had a hard time believing that, that, that it was really him. Mark says this, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their... Unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Mark 16, 14. In John twelve twenty five, John says, The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands imprinted of the nails and put my finger into the print of, of the nails and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Well, of course, that's Thomas. So there were some. Not just Thomas. There were others of the 12, now 11 because Jesus is gone. Um, nothing illustrates uh, this point better than realizing that all men and women have feet of clay. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. We're not the hottest thing since ice cream. Now the culture tells all you young people that you are the hottest thing since ice cream. Let me give you the news. You're melting Okay? It's a lie from hell. But people are living a lie. Unreality. And there's going to come a time when reality is going to hit and it's going to go, oops. Every believer falls into the same two categories of disciples and apostles, like these right here, the 11. When a sinner repents from his sin and asks forgiveness, um, they're born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You never see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3 through 5. That is what is required for you to enter heaven, seeing yourself as a sinner, asking God to forgive you for your sins. That's the beginning point. Then they become a disciple, a student, a pupil to learn God's word, Then picking up your cross, denying yourself first. Then you pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. So you're a learner, you're a student of Jesus. You don't worship the pastor, you don't learn well the pastor, you learn Jesus. You study about Jesus, you learn the word of God. To set yourself free from all other individuals, including the pastor, or should I say mostly the pastor, that you have your eyes on the Lord. Very, very important. And then they are sent out as the apostles, as witnesses of Jesus, as they were once lost, now they go into society, the home, the husband, the wife, the children, the grandchildren, the co-workers, friends, whoever the Lord leads, being witnesses for Jesus and unto Jesus, Acts eight says. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And so John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. Simple principle. Okay, Now, every believer will worship Jesus as a result of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come natural to us. People always say, you know, you ask, Well, how long have you been a Christian? Well, oh, I've been a Christian all my life. Okay, I've always loved God. You're a liar. The Bible says there's not one good. No, not one. Our heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, and no one loves God. God loved us first. Then we, in response, love God. You might have been re- devoted religiously. You might you might have loved God in your religious ways, but not in the biblical way. There's a big difference. Colossians three sixteen and seventeen. Colossians and Ephesians were written at the same time, so they're similar, but they have different focuses. Uh, let me give you first Ephesians 5, 18-19. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God, and that's continually, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts of the Lord, giving thanks always for all things of God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the result of the Word and the Holy Spirit coming together as you grow. Colossians hits it also, but from a different angle. It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, not just information, in all wisdom application. Teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing in with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whoever or whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it's the word and the Holy Spirit of God. As you look to him, as you depend upon him. He refines you from day to day, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. You're not where you're going to be, but you're not what you were before. You're constantly going forward, being more like Jesus. It's important. And so worship is the theme of heaven, as you know. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 to 12 and 14, everybody's worshiping up there. They're on their face, casting their crowns. So if the theme of heaven is worship, and by the way, the word worship is used more frequently in the book of Revelation than any other book. Secondly is, is Matthew. And so if that's What's going on in heaven, the worship of Jesus, shouldn't that be the theme of the earth? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Absolutely. Too often today is the worship of the church, the worship of the pastor, the worship of the program, the worship of this, the worship of that. No, worship of Jesus. Very, very important. And so God is seeking such the worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus told the woman of Samaria in John 4, 23 and 24. Spirit, the Holy Spirit, truth, the word of God. They both go together. You can't separate them. And so the men Jesus chose were imperfect. Real simple. Secondly, notice the authority of Jesus delegated comes in verse 18. The authority at this point was to the disciples, not just anyone. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them. Uh, The 11 disciples here that came to Galilee, to the very mountain. Now Jesus approaches them. He's not in the midst of them. He approaches them. The other accounts about Galilee is when they went fishing in John 21:14. That was the third time that he appears. This That was the morning as Jesus stood on the shore, as you've read the account, um, where he asked them, have you caught any fish? And and then told him to cast a net on the other side, and they caught a great catch. And um, when John recognized it was the Lord, Peter just jumped in the water, and when he got to the shore, Jesus had some fish going already in John 21. John says when Jesus appeared to them, they were terrified, supposing he was a spirit, and asked why they doubted. And then he showed them his hands and his feet and told them to touch him, for a spirit has not flesh and bones. Still not believing, he asked them if they had some fish and honey uh, comb so he could eat. In Luke 24, 36-46. Amazing. They spent three and a half years with them. But you can only imagine how difficult it was to believe this because it's not natural, right? It's just, we 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 can identify with them, right? Now, there are those who believe um, there were more than the 11 disciples present at this time. Some believe perhaps the account that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15 3, where he says, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now, the scriptures are silent as to those 500 being present here or anybody else. Uh, Matthew doesn't give us any detail about that, nor are the, the gospel writers. So it's always, certainly, it's possible. But if it's silent, then we remain silent. We don't know. And I don't think it really matters, okay, whether it was there or somewhere else, but we can't be absolutely sure. The focus is on the 11 that he has spent three and a half years with, and now he's going to leave, and he's going to commission them. Um, The time is believed to be towards the end uh, of the 40 days that he was here on earth, so, just before he leaves, and then Acts chapter 1 tells us when he ascends up on high. Now, notice the authority was given to Jesus, uh, saying, All authority has been given to me. The extent of the authority is unlimited. Mark it well. All means absolute, whole, everything total, complete. Nothing's excluded. The word authority, exousia, means permission, position, and right to act. The word power, is the means by which you perform something. Exousia is the right of position and place and right to do what they're going to do. He has all authority. This is the all-encompassing and supreme authority that Jesus had prior to the incarnation. The Father glorified him with the glory which he had before the world was at the right hand. That was a prayer in John 17, 5. God the Father answered that. Psalm 110, 1. Sit at my right hand while I make your enemies a footstool. Uh, Acts 2, 34. He said at the right hand. Now, the return of Jesus is going to be in power and great glory. This brings to mind Daniel 7, 13 through 14, as he comes back with that great power and glory. All authority. All authority. Matthew twenty four thirty, he told that to the Jews. The authority was given uh, to Jesus by the Father, mark it well. 32 times Jesus declares his Father sent him in the Gospel of John. 32 times. 18 times Jesus says the Father gave me. 12 times, given me. This is the theme John makes very clear. Jesus was sent by the Father and given everything by the Father. In fact, in John twelve forty nine it says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what, that, what I should say and what I should speak. That's very interesting because Jesus is saying that all he did was in the direct direction of the Father. Now they had known that all things which you have given me are from you, he says in John seventeen seven. Speaking of the apostles. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, for which of these works do you stone me? John ten thirty two. Everything he did and said, when and how he did it, was in direct relationship to the Father. This all-encompassing authority of Jesus prior to the incarnation um, was limited, put aside at the incarnation. He divested himself of his glory, never of his deity, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Being in the form of God, he didn't think it to be robbery with God, but he emptied himself of his glory, never his deity. Very important. So Jesus never did anything as God, but as the last Adam, depending on the Father for the authority, for the power, for the direction, and what to do. This is very important because he demonstrated in the temptation in the wilderness. Satan says, since you're the Son of God, and Jesus always responded, man, man, man. He came as the last Adam to prove that the first Adam chose to fail, the last Adam would not fail. He came identical to the first Adam to demonstrate that depending on the Father, we can please him. He's our example. He left us footsteps to follow. We have no excuse. That's important. Okay? If Jesus did the things he did as God, then how can I do it? I'm not God. But if he did it as the last Adam, then he shows and reveals that I have no excuse. I can obey God if I depend upon him, if I seek him. Very important. Jesus destroyed him with the power of death, Satan. Hebrews 2.14. Jesus descended down to Hades, and his, whole, his soul was not left there, nor did the Holy One see corruption. Peter picks this up in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.27. He's quoting Psalm 16.8-11. Jesus descended and preached to the captives, ascended, taking them to heaven, Having the disowned principalities and powers, making a public display of them, triumphing over them, First Peter 3.19 and Colossians 2.15 says. Preach to those who were disobedient during the days of Noah that he was the seed of the woman. God was faithful to the promise. Descended first, then ascended up to lead captivity captive, taking them to paradise. Paradise, he told the thief on the cross, today you will be in paradise. Down there were Hades, the two compartments. Jesus went down to the priest as a non believer. He picked up the believer, took him to heaven, transferred paradise to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Wow. Jesus was victorious over death. Listen to what Paul says in Corinthians Oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thank be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. 55 and 57. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, then we're all deceiving ourselves. we we'll are sit in our sin and we're most to be pitied. <laughs> but he has risen from the dead. Now notice the authority was all-encompassing in heaven and in earth. The sphere of heaven is perfection in the domain of God, as you know. In heaven, his person is supreme. In heaven, his word is always carried out. In heaven, his will is the rule. In heaven, his angels all serve him. The sphere of the earth is imperfection in the domain of Satan on the earth. Notice I say the domain of Satan. Satan does not own the earth. The earth is not Satan's. Read the scriptures. The psalm says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has domain authority because of the fall but he does not own the earth the earth belong to god all right very very clear but the authority of satan is broken by the death and resurrection of jesus christ at this point sinful men and women can be set free from the deception and captivity of satan by the gospel through repentance that's why the great commission to set people free From their darkness, their sin. Sickness can be healed by praying the name of Jesus, anointing people, laying hands on them at His will. Not everybody gets healed. God knows. He's sovereign. But we in faith obey Him. And we go through the process. The soul of men and women can enter heaven to spend eternity with Jesus now by the grace of God. We can be assured that our sins are forgiven and that we have eternal life by God's word. Um, Paul puts it this way, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15, 26-28 So right now, we we see the domain of, of Satan partially, but death has been destroyed, his authority has been destroyed, so you and I got saved because of this victory, but there's still sin, there's still rebellion, there's still those who reject, And what he's saying here in the scripture is that one day after the thousand year reign and after the white throne judgment, there'll be the new heaven, the new earth. And then everything will be subject to him. And Jesus Christ will be subject to the father in a way that we don't understand right now. And God will be all in all. Okay. Until then, because even the millennial kingdom, remember, we've studied it. There's going to be rebellion because the people that enter in from the tribulation period who didn't take the mark of the beast. Right. And then God will correct them at that time. So the rebellious ones, to the authority of Jesus, will one day be no more. Those in heaven, Satan, because he has access now. Those on earth, rebellious man. And those under the earth, demons, who are fallen angels. So every knee will bow, tongue confess that Jesus is Lord in heaven and earth and under the earth, Philippians 2.10 tells us. Amazing. Now... The authority of Jesus is greatly illustrated simply by this definition. The authority of Jesus is unquestionable, unlimited, unchallengeable, undeniable. Here's why. He rose from the dead. When was the last time you heard someone rising from the dead? None. He rose out from the dead. He wasn't raised from the dead. He was resurrected in a glorified body. Okay? There's a big difference. We have the authority to tell people that their sins can be forgiven if they repent. Or that if they don't, they will be judged for their sins. He bequeaths his authority to the twelve. He gives it to you too. Listen very carefully. John 20, verse 22 and 23. And when he has said this, he breathed on them, And said to them, Receive you the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. These two verses are used by the Catholic Church for their priests. That God has ordained them to forgive sins. It's not what it's talking about, if you know the context. It's talking about that you now have the responsibility of the Great Commission. And you can tell people that Jesus died for their sins, died in their place. And if they believe him for their justification before God, they can call upon him, repent of their sin. And God will save them, forgive their sin, and make them children of God. God is the one who does it. We don't forgive sin. Okay? That's what it's talking about. So, you preach the gospel to somebody. You share with them. They repent then you have the full authority to say, you know what? Every one of your sins right now has been cast as far east as the west, put in the deepest ocean, and you are whiter than snow. But if that another person next to them rejects the gospel, then you have the authority and the right to tell them, you know what? If you die in your condition, you will have to give an account for your sins before God, and it's not going to be good. That's what it's teaching, not that you and I can forgive sins, okay? Is that clear? Very, very important. Now, we have the authority to tell people that Jesus is God and that he became incarnate because it's God's revelation. We're not that, I mean, who's going to come up with this stuff? It's God's revelation of himself. In John one fourteen it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 In the beginning was the Word, the Word was the God, and God was the Word. The Word became flesh. So we have the good news to share with mankind that God answered the prayer of Isaiah, or oh, that He would rent the heavens and come down, and He took on flesh. He honored His promise in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. And He came down, abdicated His throne, came down, to come flesh, that he might make a way for you and I to spend eternity with God by cleansing us from our sin. Wow. We have the authority to pray for people that God sovereignly can heal them and have his will in them. We are given those provisions. and The book of James, chapter 5, 14, and 15 says, If anyone among you sick, Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. Faith is believing God's revelation. Faith points you to the revelation. Prayer and faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven him. So these are the promises we have of the Lord. If we believe the revelation, we act upon it, then God honors that as biblical faith. If what you believe is not biblical, it's foolishness. Maybe religious, but it's not biblical. There's a big difference. And so the authority of Jesus uh, delegated was all sufficient. You, I have that same authority, not just to the 12. Every believer has this. Now notice thirdly comes the task that Jesus commanded in verses 19 to 20. In 19, the command of Jesus is clear. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word go is a participle along with baptizing and teaching. Um, the three imply action and could be translated as you go, when you go, in your going. In other words, there was never any question about going. The Great Commission is not the great suggestion. Okay? Acts eight, Jesus told them you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me, to me, vertical first. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Vertical first, then horizontally for him. To him, then for him, okay? The most important is to him, that he sees me as a child of God. I'm walking with him. Very, very important. But let me say, even if you're not, if you witness, he'll honor his word above you. He'll save people. Even if you're living in sin. Whoa. Because he honors his word above his name. Because, well, you know, God uses them. So what? He used Balaam's jackass? He qualifies? People always do that. The main verb here is make disciples. It's followed by two participles indicating the process, baptizing and teaching. Um, This is an imperative command, by the way. The word disciple, again, a pupil or a learner. Um, having been dead and trespassed in sins, now are alive in Christ, having depended on one's own ability to deal with sin and sin nature, but now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are overcomers. The interest of God is not an intellectual decision for public display. This is the problem with mass evangelism and altar calls. The Billy Graham organization, I can't remember exactly. I could be correct. I think it's one in a thousand um, that they believe stay. Now, Billy Graham's organization, as he's gone home with the Lord, but not Franklin, is a pure organization. They don't put entertainment or anything before their crusades. They just preach the word of God. And if that is the number one in a thousand, what do you think these other crusades, that have motorcycle things and this and that, and they're less spiritual, what do you think the result is there? Okay, so what we see is not really what's going on. The greatest evangelism is done, listen, in the church, by you and I, the most effective. Not mass evangelism. Am I against that? No, I'm not. But I'm not stupid, and I don't believe what I see. Especially whoever is head of that organization, they speak evangelistically. Okay, thousands were there. There was 200. Be careful. Any organization that gives you numbers, their focus is wrong. Their focus is wrong. Now, God is not looking for good people. He's looking for people that know they're good for nothing. Um. He's looking for the poor in spirit to see themselves bankrupt before God to merit salvation. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he said in the Beatitude, chapter 5, verse 3. God is looking for those who mourn over their evil, of their sin, and the destruction they brought to other people's lives, and then they will be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. You see, the focus is always on us. Comfort for me. You're not, it's not what the focus. Is. The focus is, do you realize the destruction you brought to other people's lives? Through your sin nature and your sinful acts. If you're broken as far as that, then it's biblical. But if you're crying only the consequences you brought to your own life, that's not repentance. That's regret. That's not biblical repentance. Big mistake today. People don't understand it. The limitation to making disciples is no longer on Israel only. Notice, he says, of all nations, this commission The word nations is ethnos. It means tribe, nation, and people uh, of all groups. In other words, the world is the field. Uh, In the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, uh, that was very, very clear. Jesus sent them out only to the Jews in chapter 10, but now it's the whole world. The reason being is that Jesus died. For the entire world. John 3.16 and First John 2.2. There are many who do not believe this. uh, uh, Who are Calvinists. Calvinists believe. That Jesus died only for the elect. And the elect are the only ones. That the blood was shed for. And therefore they believe. That if I teach. That anybody and everybody can be saved. Or that Jesus died for the whole world. They say that's an insult. To the blood of Jesus. Of those who reject it. What? Jesus died for the whole world. John three 16. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, the Christian. And not only our sins, but the whole world. Sorry, have to go with scripture. He died for the whole world, ladies and gentlemen. If people end up in hell, if you end up in hell, it's because you reject it the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. The method is implied, not stated, by the preaching as a herald to all the nations, the gospel, the Greek word, as you know, we've gone through it before, though it's not found here, but preaching, herald Caruso. These were men who were hired by the state or the king to make proclamations. Now, when they got there, um, the message was not theirs. It was given to them. The authority was not theirs; it was vested to them, and they were not responsible for the response of the people. Only the proclamation. I am not responsible for your response. I'm only responsible for the clear proclamation of the gospel. The message is not mine; has been given to me. The authority is not mine; has been vested to me, and I rest in God. And when pastors don't understand that, they're all, "Oh man, nobody got to say this and that." Okay, I don't save anybody. If you think I say it, you're probably lost. Very important. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 17 says. God is weird, isn't he? All this technology, and he uses proclamation of the gospel. <laughs> I love it. Notice. The command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations is by the process of public a public right first. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, the middle there. The practice of baptism is after becoming a disciple. It does not precede it. Very important. The word baptizing means to dip, repeatedly immerse, or submerge. Being completely engulfed in water. No portion of your body untouched. It's a participle, present active tense, to be ongoing always. Once you're born again, you should be baptized. You take a glass, you fill it to the rim, that's not baptism. You fill the sink, you put it under, now you're baptized. Under, okay? Now, the word does not mean to sprinkle them. John the Baptist was submerged. I'm, I'm sorry, he submerged people in water in John 1.28 as he was baptizing them. How do we know that? Because when Jesus came to be baptized by him, it says he he went into the water. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended upon him. John 4, 1 and 2. Okay? Jesus was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. Many others. Now, Jesus never baptized anybody in water. His disciples baptized in water. In John 4, 1 and 2. He didn't want to confuse the baptism of water with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which only Jesus gives. Very important. Now, the symbolic meaning of water baptism is important. The practice of water baptism does not take away any sin or forgive any sin. But it's an antitype to the fulfillment, the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter three twenty through 21 tells us that. And he uses Noah Flood as that type, that example. Answer to a good conscience. It doesn't wash any sin away. If you use some soap with water, you might get some dirt off. If you're not born again, you get water baptized. You're just a wet sinner. Okay? Very, very clear. Baptism comes after you're born again. The um, practice of water baptism does not complete or add to salvation. But it is a witness of the evidence of salvation. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, In him, Christ, you're complete. In him dwells the sum total of deity. When he said on the cross it is finished, he meant it. The justification for your sins are at the cross finished. Water does not add or complete it. The practice of water baptism is a public confession of what already has happened in your heart. Identifying with the death of Christ to sin and burial with him unto death to walk in the newness of life. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4. So we take you out to the water, your backs of the world, we dunk you under, we hold you, three bubbles, we bring you up. Symbolic, the old man is dead, new man comes up. Now you were saved before you got baptized. Are you more saved now? Are you really saved now? No, you're saved. It's a public confession. Now we clap for each other here. In other countries, It's a target on your back, right? Baptism is a bold move in a hostile world against Christianity, and we're getting there in America. We're getting there. The evidence that water baptism does not forgive sins is important, or complete salvation. So we go to the scriptures to verify this. That just whatever anybody says, you have to have scripture. the thief on the cross, Jesus says, today you will be will be with me in paradise in Luke 23, 43. Can you imagine Jesus telling the centurion, hey, listen, I just promised this guy to be in paradise. I forgot he wasn't done. Could you take him down and dunk him and bring him up here again? <laughs> Some say, oh, no, 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 no. The, 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 the thief on the cross was Old Testament. Really? Listen to Matthew 11, 13. All the prophets and the law did prophesy till John the Baptist. He's New Testament. The Ethiopian eunuch asked, what hinders me to being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe in all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8, 36 to 37. So he dunked them. If baptism is essential for salvation, then Paul spoke blasphemous words to the Corinthians. Listen what he says, 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptized, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul knew baptism doesn't forgive. Baptism is a ritual and a rite after salvation, okay? Very simple. Now, the baptismal formula, notice here, is not always the same. Matthew is the only one that gives us the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the article is single, a singular article. In other words, the whole Three are made into one. Only Matthew gives us that. The great form for the Trinity as one. Three persons, one God. All right? Um, at the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 238 when you get to Samaria, they had been baptized with water, not the Holy Spirit, and the distinction is made. For as yet he had not fallen on none of them, meaning the Holy Spirit, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts eight sixteen. So there's always a distinction between the baptism of water and baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking about that next Thursday. Uh, not this Thursday, the following Thursday, about the baptism. So Peter... Um baptized also the house of Cornelius, remember, the household, in the name of the Lord. So a different formula, Acts ten forty eight. 48. Paul baptized the disciples at Ephesus in the name of the Lord Jesus in Acts nineteen five. 5. So there's different formulas we find, but here you have the three persons as the Trinitarian formula, okay? Now notice in verse 20, The command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations is by the process of instruction. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The ministry responsibility of the church is to teach the word of God to the saints. The word teaching um, is means the whole discourse of God. To instruct them from Genesis to Revelation, this does uh, this is done by a person who is anointed and call of God. Now, as a Christian, you should be able to at least repeat what you learn, and you have the ability to teach somebody because you have the Word of God. You're a child of God, but this is a call for uh, to teach as a pastor, teacher, or teacher. There's a difference between a teacher and a pastor teacher. A teacher doesn't have to have the gift of being a pastor because he's just teaching the Word of God. But every pastor, if he's a pastor, he will be given the gift of teaching also because he has to feed the flock of God. Very, very simple. Um, The word teaching is a participle in the present active tense, like baptizing, it is to be ongoing continually. Uh, The greatest failure of the church today is pastors not feeding the flock of God, not teaching the word of God, but entertaining people, deceiving people. The emergent church is one of the greatest deceptive movements that has ever taken place. It's the movement today, okay? And people are sitting in church going to hell by what they're receiving, what they're believing. Wow. The teaching has a purpose and goal. Notice to observe all things that I have commanded you. Observe means to attend to carefully. The ideas of guarding um, and obeying the teaching. Receive you as parents. You teach your children. What makes you happy? Obedience to what you teach. Right. Same thing. The tense is present active. Notice the one demanding this obedience is not the teacher teaching, but Christ. The context is all things, not just what's convenient for you or me, the authority that I have commanded you. I am responsible from Genesis to Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. All of it. Notice the promise of Jesus for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. Lo, an exclamation of surprise, something unexpected. Because when you get this commission, you say, I can't do it. I'm going to do it for you, through you. Wow. Encouragement, exhortation. Behold, or C. This is the only other imperative command in our text. Right here. An imperative era's middle voice. Jesus will do it. The person speaking is the one who's going to be performing this promise. And so the complete action is performed by Jesus himself. So we are never alone. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The extent of his promises always to his disciples and apostles the word always means each, all, every, any, ever, indicating the reliability of Jesus and trustworthiness of his person. The duration notice of the promise is to his disciple, even to the end of the age. The end means the completion, the consummation, the ages, the age of grace, the church age. He's doing his work through us. Behold, the virgin shall be with the childbearer's son, and they should call the name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us, Matthew one twenty three. Wow. Jesus is the greatest example of an evangelist. He left his throne to come down here to preach the good news that he's going to die for the world, that we might be saved. Wow. Gave up everything. The Great Commission is hard to miss. You really have to ignore it willfully. Five records of it. Are found in Matthew, in Mark at the end, and Luke at the end, and John chapter twenty, and in Acts chapter one. Five great commission statements. Philip is the only calling evangelist, but yet many people do evangelism through the Book of Acts. We are all to evangelize, do the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy four five. The entire Book of Acts is a record of the uh, is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That's a better title, and it was just. To get the gospel out. Paul did three missionary journeys. Over and over and over again. And so it's the privilege of the church. To evangelize. A great privilege. To reach the lost. The spirit told Philip. Remember he was in the revival in Samaria. Go out to the Ethiopian. And when he went out there. The guy says. Who's he talking about? Who's this? He attached himself to the chariot. And he began to preach Jesus to him. And he baptized him. In Acts 8. The purpose and responsibility of the church is to teach the saints. Ephesians four eleven to thirteen. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastor teachers. The purpose for the evangelism, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the saints. The duration is till we all come to a, a full maturity in Christ Jesus. The reason is that we should not be long, any longer children, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And the personal responsibility is that each person as a whole body being part of it is doing its effective work so that the whole body is healthy, coordinating and aligned with God so that God does his work through every one of us. You find that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, all the way down to 16. Privilege? Evangelism. The purpose of the church? Responsibility? Feed the saints. You have to be a disciple before you go out. You have to know what you're going to say. Very important. The majority of the church teaches. The purpose of the church is evangelism. Wrong. The purpose of the church is to perfect the saints. Then the result is evangelism. Real real simple. So the church is made up of many members. Where do you fit? They're described as newborn, as infants, as young men, young fathers, or older mothers, older fathers in First John uh, two, twelve through fourteen, the disciples of Jesus uh, are to contend for the faith. The Book of Jude, First Peter three fifteen, were to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope of the life, and with meekness and fear. How are you going to do that if you're not taught? How are you going to do that if you don't spend time in the Word? You have the answers for a dying world, ladies and gentlemen. You have the antidote to the cobra bite. <laughs> What are you going to do with it? Hmm. Jesus says, the Father sent me, I also send you, John 20, 21. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them, John 13, 17. Wow. The task Jesus commanded is to evangelize and teach his word. What an incredible finish to this gospel. The Great Commission, characterized by these three things, the men Jesus chose were imperfect. The authority Jesus delegated was all sufficient. And the task Jesus commanded is to evangelize and teach his word. That includes us, ladies and gentlemen. We're up at bat. How you doing? Lord, we thank you. We worship you. For your grace and love, deal with our hearts. And we pray for those who are listening on the radio and, Lord, over the Internet. That you would deal with us, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Only you can make that decision. Your wife, your husband, your children, or vice versa, cannot make that decision. You must see yourself as a sinner before God in rebellion, and that he died for your sins, and that he alone can forgive you and justify you before God. That is called faith. What needs to follow is repentance. If you don't know Christ and you will agree with what I just said, you see this very clear. It is the grace of God and his mercy. Now you can call on him if you want to be saved. It's called repentance. This is a prayer, very brief prayer of repentance. If you want to be born again, you can repeat this prayer and he's going to forgive you right now and save you right where you're at. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.